0: From GreenBiz Group, welcome to this week's edition of 350. I'm Heather Clancy filling in from New Jersey for the Vacationing Joel McCower. On this week's edition is Silicon Valley warming up to sustainability startups? How an early stage Yale entrepreneur thinks he can convince apartment building owners to invest in solar, and why data is an essential nutrient for urban agricultural pioneer. Aerofarms. We're cultivating new ideas this week on
1: 350.
0: It's May 11th, 2018, and welcome to Greenbiz 350. My co host this week is Greenbiz senior transportation analyst and senior writer. Katie Farrenbacher, joining me virtually from the GreenBiz headquarters at 350 Franca Gowell Plaza in downtown Oakland, California. Hello, Katie. Hi, Heather. Thank you for filling in for Shauna Rappaport, uh, as as you heard last week, podcast listeners. She was supposed to be my co-host, and unfortunately, Shauna had a little bit of a close encounter with a semi um, this week, and she is okay. She's 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 recuperating well from from this accident, but. Um, she couldn't make, be with us today. And Katie, thank you so much for filling in the last minute. And Shauna, get, get well quick. Um, and Katie, thank you very much.
1: Yeah, it's, it's good to be here. Um, we're missing Shauna, but um, happy to be on the podcast this week.
0: So, I, you know, you and I have both been pretty heads down this week. I, I know you're very busy, uh, Katie, with uh, getting some pretty exciting things together for Verge 18. Oh my God, it's in October, but what have you been doing this week?
1: Yes. Um we are very heads down over here in Oakland working on the all the breakout sessions for Verge 18 in October in Oakland. Um I'm running the transportation content this year. So I've put together I think it's like 26 different breakout sessions that focus on different aspects of the transformation of transportation. So looking at sharing systems, at autonomous technologies, at electrification, and at connected infrastructure. Um, So I'm pretty excited to bring in all these different topics and some super cool speakers. Um, So I've been really busy doing that. Um, And um, we actually, in the office, it's been kind of a little bit hectic because we have installed a bunch of new um, booths, which I'm speaking to you from one of our new phone booths. So we actually have some office space to make phone calls now. That's very exciting.
0: And it seems very quiet, actually. That's a <laughs> Yeah,
1: do I sound good?
0: You have some time to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the the uh, content you're working on for the, the conference, I believe should be live on our site um, around about the time this podcast drops. So keep uh, an eye out for that, as well as, as the track that, that Katie's working on. We've got a fantastic circular economy um, track developing conference, uh, I should say, and also an energy, con- the Verge Energy Conference. So, we are uploading many, many, many um, fabulous sessions. We, we've got such great conversations that are going to happen um, at the Verge Conference this fall in our, in in Oakland, and you're very uh, on on your turf there.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and also, I should mention that you, Katie, you and I have been calling. Um, all sorts of wonderful thirty under thirty yes, people that yes. are the list. Yep. Yeah, they are so awesome. You know, whenever I talk to someone like, that's just a little bit earlier in their career than me. And I'm putting it. I'm being kind to myself right now, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it just it's just such a wonderful breath of fresh air. We can't reveal any names um, right now, but I've had some amazing conversations. I'm sure you have too. Any is anything stand out for you, Katie? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I've, I've spoken with. Four or five of our honorees, um, and yeah, they're just they—they're right. They're—they're they're very inspiring. Um, a lot of uh, my folks have talked about how their parents or early elementary school science teachers have inspired them um and you're right they're just kind of starting out on their career but they've already done some pretty amazing things in sustainability and business um so i was inspired you know i go to a lot of events um where you talk to kind of seasoned executives and entrepreneurs who have been around for a while and you know get somewhat jaded about um different aspects of the sustainability um market but uh these guys are, are super excited and are, you know, they're the future. So um, it's pretty, I feel lucky to talk to them.
0: Yeah. I just want one last note on this. Um, I, I, I was intrigued to discover that many of the folks that I'm interviewing did not have Twitter. It was kind of cool learning how they're interacting and, you know, sharing ideas with their community. But I've also been asking them about how to build consensus, which is such an important aspect of anyone in sustainability right now. Because there's so many um, diametrically opposed points of view, and I've been I've been learning a lot, quite frankly, by um, just sitting back and listening. And, and I really appreciate everything I'm, I've learned so far from the folks I've interviewed. And I'm excited to read read all of the <laughs> the profiles when they come out. Um, so stay tuned, everyone. Watch for that list on June 4th, and we'll also be featuring some um, interview segments uh, here on the podcast. So keep. Keep your ears and eyes open and peeled for that. And um, meanwhile, I think it's time to go on to the Week in Review. Okay, Katie, I want to get things started with a story that you uh, wrote. Um, You were an event this week. Um, The title is Meet Five Startups Disrupting Supply Chains and Materials. Um, I'm just... I I have actually met one of these um this is a fabulous company that um I interviewed oh I think it was about a year ago called bext 360 uh they they're working on blockchain applications to trace to pr- trace supply chains uh commodities specifically um starting out with coffee um so I was thrilled to see that you you had run into them and that they were featured here I'm just wondering what you can tell me about the other ones that that you ran across
1: Yeah so to put this in context um On Tuesday, I drove down to sunny, Sunnyvale, California, where the Plug and Play Tech Accelerator is based, and they were having their Spring Summit basically a demo day. um, It's three days um, focused on these different tracks of startups that they support. So um, yesterday it was the track that focuses on logistics and supply chain and new materials and manufacturing. Um, So there was, you know, dozens and dozens of startups that had, that were using um, different, mostly computing technologies. So AI, machine learning, autonomous vehicle technology, robotics, um, to change the way that logistics companies are tracking their shipments um, and making transportation more efficient, um, and then uh, kind of new material companies using a lot of them nanotechnology to make different types of packaging or coatings that use less energy um, or, or more recyclable, things like that. So I um, listened to um, dozens of these companies, and then I picked out five that I thought were some of the most interesting ones to me. And like you said, Bex360 was one of them. Um, another one was Robbie Technologies, um, which you, if you're following the kind of robotics space, you might have seen some of these companies, but... Robbie builds a robot that it's a self-driving robot that um, provides last mile delivery services for food, groceries, and packages. So basically, you know, say like a pizza delivery company can uh, bring, you know, a bunch of pizzas, say, kind of to your neighborhood and then They'll put out this robot that like slowly drives the pizza you know maybe five blocks to your house. you get a, like a text or you know it pops up on your app, you come out the door and you come out to this little robot you open it up and you grab the pizza or you grab you know whatever it is that you ordered. So they were a pretty interesting company. They actually have uh, designed their second version of their robot to make it more friendly to humans, so much better human interaction. The original one is kind of very square and boxy, um, but the second one has more like rounded edges. It has a bigger cargo carrying space. And the robot uses machine learning and artificial intelligence to to be able to, you know, effectively maneuver on the sidewalk. So if, you know, a pet or a person or whoever comes in front of the robot, it'll slow down, it'll stop, it'll route around, you know, rocks or whatever. So... I thought that was a pretty interesting company. Um and you know the, the intention is not to lower greenhouse gas emissions with the delivery but that's kind of a side effect of these robotics, you know, the it's, it's a battery powered, you know, device, a gadget and so taking this kind of last mile into this electric vehicle, so to speak, is is much more efficient and uses less fuel than say the diesel delivery van continuing to drive around and drive around. So so,
0: you know, I just have to break in here. I know that this company wasn't at your conference, but um, I I was at the Techonomy conference in New York this week, um, you know, where there were a lot of different uh, startups and so forth that were focusing on... They're focusing on doing good. That was sort of the theme, like doing good. And one that was mentioned, and it just made me think of this when you, when you mentioned Robbie, was Zoom pizzas. Have you heard of them? Mm, no. Tell me about them. The deal is that... Um, Basically, it's it, it's delivery, right, De- a, a model of delivering pizza, but the pizza gets made in the truck. So it's basically like a, p- a pizza truck, like a food truck. It's a, a twist on the food truck business, but they have robots that, that take the orders and make the pizza ba- basically on the way to the house. Wow. Yeah, I know, crazy. So <laughs> I I know it's a total aside, <laughs> completely not a company that was at your conference, but it just made me think of just all the really – Crazy and sort of out there ideas, but that but when you think about it, that kind of makes sense. You know, I mean, like that sounds like a very practical application. Why not have the oven in the truck? Food trucks are are popular. People have them at you know fundraisers. They're kind of a concept that people are understanding. So why not?
1: Yeah, and and also pizza is just kind of the the ultimate application, right? Everybody loves pizza. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I actually wanted to mention one other company that I found really fascinating um, from your. From your story, um, because it's an, it's also an example of why it doesn't have to necessarily be like a piece of technology, a robot or something like that. Alchemy, like, and I didn't know this. Um, you you wrote you mentioned that that um, what they do is sort of like a it's like a protective coating, right? So that the sensors don't get false signals, like from cracks on a windshield or from I don't know from getting getting punched or hit or, <laughs> you know, abraded or something like that, that I just, I thought, well, gosh, what a great idea. And not anything that, it's not robotic, but it's so important for, for the, the autonomous vehicles to have, to have accurate signals on what's going on. So yeah.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Alchemy makes this nano coating called exo shield. Um, so when they apply it to the, the windshield will last like six times longer and, you know, has a much, Lower chance of of scratching and and cracking and that kind of thing, and I think the company was specifically targeting the self driving car market because those cars are going to be willing to make this a little bit more of an investment in um, this kind of premium coating. Whereas um, right now, with the company being pretty new, you know they're not necessarily um, going to go after the regular car market. But eventually, down the road, when the the cost goes down, you know you could see all um, vehicles using something like this, you know, because it would, you know, prevent you from replacing your windshield, you know, when you're driving down the highway and you get one of those little cracks, um, from a rock, you know, so it can just make car ownership, uh, much more sustainable. Um, so that was interesting.
0: You know, I wonder if like safe will (laughs) become a distributor of some sort, right. The ones that come and fix. Yeah. I mean, like you think about that would be kind of a cool, um, retrofit model, right. You have them come out and, treat your windshield and make it autonomous ready anyone else you want to mention yeah so there was another company that
1: was just amazing um like their idea just kind of tickled me when um they were pitching it they're called cruise foam um and so they're based in santa cruz california first of all you know being down in Santa Cruz is pretty interesting on its own. Um, I don't know if you've ever been there, but, you know, it's about... I and, used to live there, Katie. Really? Yeah. Oh, well, then you know it well. <laughs> and there's not a ton of technology. I mean, there's more technology and startups going down there, actually. But, um, but you know, historically, there haven't been a huge kind of Silicon Valley ecosystem down there. So that's great in itself, um, them being based there. But so they um what they do is they take shrimp shell waste and they uh, convert it into a bio uh, version of styrofoam. Um, And so kind of standard styrofoam is made from oil. It's a petroleum-based product. um, And it's the second most common plastic found on beaches. Um, You know, there's this huge problem with marine plastics, um, you know, plaguing oceans. So um, the cruise foam guys um, decided they wanted to create this alternative. Um, And so they, I guess, shrimp shells contain this polymer called chitin, which um, they use to... um, create this styrofoam. Um, and so their first product is that they want to create a surfboard made out of this shrimp styrofoam, you know, go figure. That's pretty cool. Um, and then later on, they want to, um, build coolers out of it, um, for the delivery market. So if you've ever bought anything on Amazon prime fresh or like, you know, pharmaceuticals that need to be, um, chilled in delivery. So they want to go after that, um, market afterwards. So I
0: just thought that was pretty novel so they can sell their surfboard in the O'Neill Surf Shop, which is like, that's an iconic business there. So, and, um, you know, actually sticking with the theme of startups, I'd like to go to um, another story that we ran this week from, it's part of our our, our series on um, entrepreneurs that come, that hail from Yale, if you will. Like, so there's a, a some, some of them are students, some of them are alumni. Um, in this particular This particular venture is called Solar for Renters, colon, the renter's PPA. And the idea is to um, basically convince apartment building owners to invest more in in solar panels, in in, in energy storage technologies. Now, the dilemma here traditionally has been the fact that um, even if a building owner, like an apartment building owner, wants to put solar on their building, it's very difficult to, um, to figure out how to get that paid back. So the renters aren't going to necessarily pay more for, for solar power. So how does a, a landlord you know, how does a landlord, um, somehow work with their tenants to, to, to do this, right? So, um, this company is going to be testing the concept in, in Connecticut. And the idea is to sort of create like a new kind of power purchase agreement, um, that that helps the landlords invest and get some return, but all and and the the tenants have to pay maybe a little bit more, but they're paying for what they know is clean energy and um and sort of it's a it's a trade off. So they're going to test this in um, I think it's New Haven with a a, a new building in New Haven, um, and it's um, a student from Yale, but also Carrie Krasinski, who's a, a, a long time friend of Green Biz, um, is advising uh, on this on this project. So that just that was just one of these things i thought was super interesting like cuz that's that's a dilemma that multi you know the multi use building side of the apartment building uh sustainable you know or affordable housing you, you the case for investing in solar energy on those buildings
1: has been very difficult to me. Yeah no I think I thought that was really interesting too I mean so I've been watching um, the community solar market for the last couple of years and it's a similar concept um, but it's more for roof roofless solar as they call it so like a third party or a utility will put a community solar array these are on the ground they'll install them in like a neighborhood or some area and then they'll have these communities um, a lot of them are renters or low-income communities by the solar energy from this community solar farm so it's a similar concept but they're doing it roofless but I thought this was particularly interesting because they're trying to figure out a way to actually you know take that community solar model but provide it on the roof of you know the building that that uh, these multi-dwelling families are living in so that was interesting
0: yeah to your point about community solar I think it was the fastest growing um, segment of the solar market last year and I think what I I'm particularly interested in watching is how commercial buyers get involved, um, because you know I'm just I'm still going back to one of my favorite stories in the past year, which is the um, deal that Organic Valley did with a local co-op to get solar in place. The co-op wanted it. Organic Valley has had difficulty investing because of, of the way it's organized, right? It's so it's you know it doesn't have such a huge headquarters operation. It has um, all these farmers. So it, you know, that are spread all across the United States, so it couldn't really go out and help, at least at this point, co-op members do this, but it it managed to um, make an impact in its community, fulfill some of its clean energy buying requirements, and and just it was a very unusually structured deal. So I'm curious to watch and see if other companies get involved in some of the community solar projects that are going on around the country, so
1: yeah and to and one note this is also an interesting um a difficult problem for the electric vehicle industry as well so you know as electric vehicle chargers are installed publicly One of the problems is that the multifamily dwelling unit is being left behind and, you know, you have an electric car, but if you don't have a parking spot, you live in an apartment, you know, where are you going to charge it? So, you know, these new energy technologies are having similar problems, whether it's solar for your roof or or a charger for
0: your EV. So the headline on that one is solar for renters this startup is taking on the challenge of split incentives I guess our final story and wait lo and behold it's another story on entrepreneurship <laughs> um, this one uh, comes from a, uh, the World Economic Forum actually some, was fu- published first there um, it's, gosh it's, it hits on several different areas Let, let's just give you the headline first how the gig economy influences and is influenced by agropreneurs. So there's another, um, fun word for you, fun made up word. Um, (laughs) uh, but the, so the story is focusing on, um, some startups in, in agriculture and particularly startups in Asia where, where apparently drones are, um, sort of the rage for entrepreneurs that are hoping to, um, address data needs in the, in the agricultural sector. So dozens of tech startups are introducing drone technology. They're targeting a demographic of largely young people who understand technology and how it can apply to farming. So some of these people may have been trained in cities but are not finding decent jobs there. So issue one is um, it provides rural rural job opportunities. Um, In this particular case, it's in Asia. But um, ag tech here in the United States has been a problem that many people in Silicon Valley have tried to imagine or reimagine, right? But people aren't necessarily going to the place where it needs to be reimagined, which is in a field, right?
1: Yeah. And yeah, these communities are having a hard time uh, recruiting, bringing back um, those kids who, who went off to college and convincing them to come back to their communities. You know, they're going to the, the big urban areas. So, you know, in the U S this could be an, Uh, interesting way to um, entice um, this young demographic back,
0: back to those communities. So the drones aren't just necessarily um, for agriculture only, they could be for delivery, um, food delivery, they could be delivering like things and food as well. So something that I thought was a fascinating story, and one that it's a market that keeps trying to break through here in the United States. We, I, I ran into someone that I know we've both talked to in the in the, in the past, um, Farmers Business Network, Charles Barron, who has been working on this model of help of information, right? So the, the big sort of common denominator in many of these, these ag tech startups is information, data, the ability to collect information and give it back to the farmers who have just historically not had that much information. They can't get, they don't know why the seed, companies price their products in a certain way. They they don't know that maybe they could get fertilizer for a lower price from but you know that's the same ingredients but branded differently and, and maybe they could get a lower price. They just haven't really had historically in at least in the United States um access to that information. So that's what I think the common denominator is. And I was pleased to hear um the Farmers Business Network, which is again a company that you and I both wrote about, I think right at their start. Um, they've they've been definitely growing people that are wanting their their information to be managed online and uh so it just seems to be like this whole area is hitting a tipping point um not necessarily sure that drones will be the answer i think they're still pretty expensive i don't know you know exactly how efficient they are at collecting images but certainly um other ways of collecting data sensors throughout fields i think are finally becoming something that um Agricultural entrepreneurs can can get their arms around.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I think it's it's fascinating. I mean, over the last several years, um, the you know ag tech and and data for agriculture has been such a hot investment area for. Um, venture capitalists, you know, entrepreneurs getting into it. I mean, it's almost like where maybe two years ago, people were kind of flooding into that sector. And now there was, um, there was some kind of bubble type, type of thing happening. But now um, it seems like a lot of the stuff is starting to be implemented. Um, and the big corporations are, you know, acquiring some of these companies and building their own products. So it, I think it's actually starting to happen now.
0: urban agricultural pioneer, AeroFarms is often considered and described as the largest vertical farming operation in the world. Certainly, it is among the best funded. It has more than $100 million in backing from a variety of venture funds, as well as a very intriguing corporate investor, IKEA. The company just opened its ninth facility in Newark, New Jersey. It is a 70,000 square foot industrial retrofit, if you will, that features um, not just the LED lighting, that's necessary to grow veggies indoors, things like uh, arugula and kale and and mustard greens, but it also features a high degree of automation. I had a chance to speak with Aerofarm CEO and co-founder David Rosenberg about the new facility, about what drives his team, and about why the company is putting so much reliance on data through a new partnership with Dell. Here are edited highlights from that wide-ranging interview.
2: We have this fully connected farm that's ever becoming more connected, and that enables us to better take in for, well, both manage the farm as well as take information from the farm and send it to the right people to make the most of that data. So whether it's information that's stored on the core, on the edge, in the cloud, if it's information that needs to go immediately to food safety, to operations, no offense to finance, maybe tomorrow to finance is okay, or in a couple hours to marketing and sales is okay, but how we manage that, organize and manage the data, it's incredibly important. So from a business model, like some of the key ratios is capex per unit of output, capex per revenue. So essentially, for a capital expense, I'm able to get more output and more revenue on an annual basis. Um, As we speak, people in our company are filling out an ESG system. We're going up for our recertification as a B Corp. We have Whole Foods has a certification. We're doing a life cycle analysis just internally. So there are all these ways to quantify that. And it's it it takes so much time it's kind of part of it's frustrating and part of me just wants to like let's just keep our head down and do the right thing and not worry about communicating all of these aspects at the same time appreciating it is important it's important I think to inspire others of what's possible and it's important to benchmark and understand how we're doing Uh, but part of me just wants to put my head down so aspirationally what we try and do is like weave into the culture into our design principles how do we do more with less and, and my inspiration of building a company was having a positive impact, how do we build a company that has a positive impact, a big impact on the environment, a big impact on society a big impact on shareholder profitability, those were my musts as I was just like writing business plans of where to put my time and attention and resources So it, um, and then when you have that as your lens in looking at a business you see problems in different ways and solutions come and get prioritized in different ways at the same time i find it's important to couple that with we have a lot of aspirational like millennials and so forth and it's important to say hey you know just because we didn't solve the world's problems tomorrow that's okay and what's important is let's keep our principles consistent and let's keep our eyes on that vision and let's kind of sequence when the problems need to be solved appreciating you know we're gonna go backwards sometimes sometimes we're gonna go forward and, and et cetera et cetera. an example like so: when we designed our cloth media we said alright wouldn't it be cool if we could make it 100% reusable and 100% recyclable and we tried cleaning it to make it recyclable and it was like clumsy at times then we put in another system with water and then we realize, all right, this is the patch, but let's then put in a new system that doesn't use water, which is coming in in a few months. Uh, so these things, as we like, kind of go up and down, but as long as we're going up, down, or more ups and downs or whatever, like going in the right direction, letting people know it's like, we don't have to be perfect day one, but how do we get there? How do we really meaningfully move the dial? We need to be smarter, more elegant in designing systems that feed our planet. Vertical farming is illustrative of how technology can help do more with less and from a circular economy standpoint, if you stop back and say what does it mean to be circular in agriculture I actually wrote kind of like a mini white paper on what that means and I, I, I s- took a step back with a white piece of paper tr- took off my arrow farm's hat and said like what are the considerations what does this mean and and then put back on my AeroFarms hand and said, all right, how do we, like, walk the talk and try and live up to that? And for me, it's also about, like, that societal engagement. How do we help alleviate food deserts and kind of inspire communities, hire from the communities, et cetera, et cetera.
0: That's our 350 podcast for this week. Go to greenbiz.com/350 to find out more about the organizations, stories, and events mentioned in this episode. And while you're there, look for a link to our other podcast, Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. Hit us up by email at 350 at greenbiz.com. We always love to hear from you. GreenBiz 350's director is Stephanie Joyce. Elsa Wenzel is our managing editor. I'll be back next week with the one and only Joel McHour. Until next week, from all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Heather Clancy. Thanks for listening.